the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is recounting to the nation of Israel how God had been merciful and faithful all these years. God had provided for them even when they complained. God had given them victories over their enemies, even though they had sinned against Him. God was moving them closer to taking the promised land for themselves. But they were to love God with their whole being in order to be successful. God desires to bless all His people, but it would have to be on His terms. We continue to look at the blessings God wanted to bestow on the nation of Israel as we continue with Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 15. Not only would he give them the rain and and all this stuff and supply their every need, but he says, I will send grass in your fields for your cattle that you may eat and be full. The word there, grass, it just means green plants. So this would be food both for animals, the grass that they would eat, the pasture land, but then it's also crops. He says, I'll give you both that you may eat and be satisfied to have everything you need. Doesn't that sound like the way to go if you're Israel? Like, what should we do here? Like, it should be a no-brainer, right? <laughs> hey, let's love God supremely. Let's do what he says, and because this sounds like the best option here. So why do we often think that we can do better? God has not given us these promises. These are promises made to Israel. Like, God doesn't promise that I'm going to have grass and plenty of food for my pasture animals. But God has given us precious promises that are equally good. So why do we think we can do better? See, and that's what it comes down to, trusting God or trusting ourselves. The problem with trusting myself is that I'm very good at deceiving myself. Have you ever noticed that? We're very good at deceiving ourselves. I remember the chapter in Jeremiah, I think it's 19, but that might not be right, where it talks about how the heart is desperately wicked above all things. That's not hyperbole. That's a statement. My heart is desperately wicked. It is wicked to the nth degree, and it is more deceptive than anything else out there. The thing that gets me most in trouble is me. It's not my spouse. It's not my kids. It's not my job. It's not my community. It's not my government. It's not anything else. It's not the culture. It's me, my own heart. How do we protect ourselves from deceiving ourselves? Well, the Lord says here in verse 16, take heed to yourselves, that your heart be not deceived, and that you do not turn aside and serve other gods to worship them. For then the Lord's wrath will be kindled against you, and he'll shut up the heavens, so that there be no rain, and the land will not yield her fruit, lest you perish quickly. In other words, you'll be removed from the good land which the Lord God gives to you. Here he explains to us how we can protect ourselves from being deceived by ourselves. He says, take heed to yourselves. The word take heed or phrase there, it means to pay close attention to something. In other words, don't become spiritually lazy. That's what I do. I become spiritually lazy and then I end up in a place where I go, how did I get here? 
Oh yeah, I talked myself into this stupidity. (laughs) That's how I got here. How did I get in this argument with the woman I love more than anything else? Because I decided I'm going to be selfish right now. And that's a great idea. At some point, my heart was going, well, this isn't right or that's not fair or whatever. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I bought it hook, line, and sinker. And now I'm in there and I'm like, I don't want to be here. This is bad. And the hearts are going, no, 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 keep going, man. It's all going to work out. (laughs) We all do that. We all do that. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. The word deceived, it means to be in a state of holding a wrong view about a situation. And having an incorrect view about a situation means I will take an incorrect course of action, one that will take me out of God's will and out of his blessings. He says, if you do that, then my wrath will be kindled against you. Now, we don't experience God's wrath. We're not under wrath because of the cross. Christ already took all of our wrath. There is no wrath left for us, amen? That's good news. But every time Israel disobeyed, they faced that real danger. Why did God allow that to be in the Old Testament? Well, I think it reiterates to us the seriousness of sin and why the cross was necessary. Because God doesn't want to pour out his wrath upon us. He wants to pour out his blessings upon us. So aren't you glad for the cross? Again, since the goal is to always obey the Lord, how do we give ourselves the best chance at that? How do we give ourselves the chance to be under his blessings? How do we not become spiritually lazy? And how do we protect ourselves from being deceived, from deceiving ourselves? Well, Moses explains in verse 18, he says, by making God's word a priority. He says, therefore, you shall lay up my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them upon the door posts of your house and upon your gates. Here we see that Moses outlines the ways that we make God's word a priority in life, how we are not spiritually lazy, how we are spiritually fit. And the first thing he mentions is to lay up these words, these my words, in your heart and in your soul. The phrase lay up, it means to place a seed in the ground as the first step of the growing process. Psalm 119 verse 11, it says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, right? It's the same concept here, laying up, planting his word into our hearts as the first step of that growing process. How do I do that? Number one, you need to read your Bible with intent. And intent, what do you mean? You need to read your Bible with intent to respond to it. I don't ever want to walk away from reading my Bible without having responded to something. You know, my devotion this morning, I'm in the very end of Matthew. It was the end when Jesus died. And I was talking about how the soldiers recognized truly this was the son of God. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, Lord, if these guys, we don't even know if they became believers and they can acknowledge you, why do I so often ignore you? And I just kind of recommitted myself to say, Lord, I don't want to ignore you. I want, to, I want to recognize who you are and what you want to do in my life. I want to make that a priority again. It's not complicated, but we should read with the intent to respond. The second thing that he mentions, he says, and bind them for a sign, which means just a symbolic ornament, so like a, a watch or a bracelet or something like that. Bind them for a sign, for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. Back then, they would wear these boxes on, their, on a strap around there, and they'd put scripture in them, the idea of remembering the word of God. But you could do that and not apply the word of God to your life. So it's not just doing the action. We ask ourselves, why do we wear symbolic ornaments? Why do I wear this watch? My wife gave it to me for our 10-year anniversary. It's important to me. 
It reminds me of our marriage, of our commitment, of her love for me and my love for her. We wear symbolic ornaments to remind us of something that's important to us. Not only do we, number one, need to read with the intent to respond to God's word, but number two, we need to read it in a way that you'll remember it. Read it in a way that you'll remember it. Why do we read the Bible in a way that we'll remember it? Well, I mean, one obvious way is memorization, right? Scripture memorization is crucial and important. I wish I could say I'm really good at scripture memorization. I'm, I'm not in particular. A uh, funny thing is I'm pretty good at memorizing anything else. If you ask me how many home runs, you know, Mickey Mantle hit in 1961, I'll probably be able to tell you. But for whatever reason, you know, you ask me to quote a verse I haven't really dedicated to memorize or you ask me to memorize a verse, it's going to take me forever. One way I've learned that it's been helpful to me in scripture memorization is to memorize scripture verse by verse. I heard this at Bible college once. A guy came up and taught and he talked about how to, how to be effective in memorizing scripture. It's the way they did it back in the old day. They didn't have Bibles for everybody, so they had to memorize the law of Moses. But they wouldn't just pick and go, hey guys, Deuteronomy 6 is really important. Let's memorize that one. No, they would start in verse 1 and they would go through. They'd memorize and add a little bit and add a little bit. What I started with, I started with the book of John and then I realized that's going to be a really tall task. And I switched to 1 John eventually. But I would take two verses and put them on an index card and I had a pocket at my work uniform. And so I'd, I'd put them in the pocket. And every once in a while during a downtime, I'd pull them out and I'd read one, read the other, put it back in. Before you knew it, man, I, I could quote, I can still quote the entire first two chapters of First John. And I can quote the entire first chapter of John. I didn't think I could do that, but it's a good way to memorize scripture. I don't think that's the only thing that's being talked about here, I think it's simply reading it regularly. If you ask me, you say, well, Pastor Will, how do you know so much about the Bible? I'm not saying I know a ton, but people sometimes are like, wow, you know the Bible pretty well, or you, wow, you can quote scripture left and right. I haven't memorized a ton of verses, but I've read this thing cover to cover quite a few times. We talk about, you know, you don't learn the Bible by osmosis. Yeah, I get that if you just like fall asleep on it. But I do think, I do think you pick up more than you realize just by reading it regularly. I can't tell you how much I've picked up just from the fact that I've read through my entire Bible a good 13, 14 times. It starts to stick with you after a little while. First time through Jeremiah, you're like, I don't understand a word that dude said and I have no clue what's going on. Second time you come through, you're like, okay, I'm starting to get the gist of that. That was one depressed prophet. But then like the third and fourth and fifth time, you're starting to go, I can see the story. And then the eighth or ninth time, you're going, oh yeah, I remember that chapter. That was the one about false prophets, or that was that one about faithful leaders, or this was that one where Jeremiah was really angry at the people, and, and you remember a couple key verses that stuck out to you. A lot of times, if I'm quoting a verse or sharing a story, a Bible story with somebody, it's just because of the fact I've, I've read it so much. I think part of how we memorialize scripture to us, where we you know, make them like symbolic ornaments, is just by reading regularly. Just having a time where you read the Bible with intent to respond every single day. Thirdly, he mentions, and you shall teach them, verse 19, to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You know, it's so funny. Some of the most interesting conversations I have with my kids is as I'm putting them in bed at night, and I'll say, all right, you know, let's pray. And we'll pray. And I say, hey, dad, hey, what's up? And then the crazy question will come out. Hey, why did God do this? And you think, wow, okay, we're going to have a good conversation. And then you go through and you have that discipleship moment with your child. It's when you lie down, when you get up, wherever you go, the idea is you need to be studied up in the word so that you can explain it to others. That's what he says here, that you might teach them to your children. And then wherever you go. The third way, we need to read it with the intent to respond. We need to read it in a way that we'll remember it. And thirdly, we need to study it so we can explain it to others. 
The Great Commission isn't to share our faith, although that's part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to make disciples. We're all commanded to do that, to make disciples. Now, part of that is sharing our faith, but part of it is also teaching them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded you. You say, well, how can I? I mean, I've only been a Christian for a year. I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. Listen, there's always somebody out there who knows more than you, and there's always somebody out there who doesn't know as much as you. And that's all you got to find. Who can I pour into? Who's maybe been a Christian for less time than I have? Who can I pour into and encourage? Who can I share scripture with? I dare say God's most important discipleship program that he's instituted is that of parents to their kids. That's my personal conviction. The most important discipleship program that God has ever instituted is that of parents to their children. Formal family Bible study is awesome. And if you do that, keep doing it. If you're not, but it's something you know your family needs, then please start obeying him. You know, don't put it off any longer. But the idea of these verses here is that you're so well-versed in Scripture that the truths and the lessons of Scripture are a part of your entire day with your kids. And I ask you tonight, does that describe your family interaction? Frequently, when people come to me and they say, I know we need to do something with our kids, whether it's family devotions or have better conversations, and I'll say, well, Just talk about what you've been learning in your devotion time or what you've been learning in your study time. And then you kind of see the head go down a little bit because, you know, well, you know, I probably need to have a more regular study time and devotion time. And I'm like, okay, you can't give what you don't have. If you're seeing a need in your family or seeing a lack of something in your family, you can't ignore it in your own life and expect you'll have something to give. So it's crucial and important, you know, that we start here and that we're so well versed in the scripture, we're studying it ourselves so that we can teach it to others. Lastly, the fourth thing Moses says is, and you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Not only do we need to read the word of God with intent to respond, read it in a way we remember it, and number three, study it so that we can explain it to others, but we need to memorialize impactful truths. What do you mean when you say that, Pastor Will? Well, Israel, of course, they couldn't put the entire law of Moses on the walls of their house. Their houses were much smaller than ours, and they didn't have the supplies to do things like that. But there would be things that stood out for each family, things that stood out in their own personal life. Those things would be the things that you might find on a doorpost, you know, somewhere in, in the hall. Things that God had done uniquely in their life. So often, I think as Pastor Tom will tell me frequently, he goes, we as Christians, we don't celebrate our, the things God does in our lives very well. And I think you know, he's right. We oftentimes just kind of move on. Like, thanks, Jesus, you know, and move on. I think it's important to memorialize impactful truths. When, like, we find something that God just really drives home to our hearts and it impacts our life to go, I want to memorialize that in some way. I bumped into a sticky note that Jane, our receptionist, who's gone home to be with the Lord, left for me. That woman had no clue what I was going through that day when she left me that note. She said, remember, Will, God is for you. And then she put in parentheses in her little silly way, and for me too. (laughs) I needed to hear that that day. That sticky note will be with me for the rest of my life. And I keep it somewhere where I can see it every once in a while, because I don't want to forget that day. I needed to remember that day that God was for me. And it's crucial when God just does things like that in your life, you know, that you find a way to memorialize it so you don't forget it. When we do these things, we're reading the word of God with intent to respond. We're reading it in a way we'll remember it. We're studying it so we can share it with others. And we're memorializing those impactful truths in some way. We make God's word a priority. And when we do that, it results in an obedient life. It results in us growing in our obedience towards God. And if Israel would do that, it would bring blessings upon their land. Look at verse 21. That your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord your God swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. That's how much I'll bless you. For if you shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you, 
to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you. And you shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. And every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river and the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea, the Mediterranean there, shall your borders be. And there shall be no man able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread upon, as he has said unto you. So the Lord says, man, if you do this, I will bless you, I will be with you, and it will go well. I love here that Moses says, for if you shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, verse 22, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and then he adds this, it's a new thing, and to cleave unto him. It's a new thing. He had not used that phrase before in Deuteronomy. The word there, cleave, it means to stick to, to cling to. It's almost like Moses. He keeps saying the same thing over and over again, but he keeps finding new ways to describe what loving God means, so one of them will stick. And they'll go, oh, that's what loving God means. You know, our hearts are so prone to wander, aren't they? That's why we sing that song. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it for your courts above. Our hearts are so prone to wander, but blessing comes from staying close to the Lord, from sticking to him, by clinging to him with all we've got. Is that a good description of your relationship with God right now? That you cling to him with all you've got? If not, you can easily fix that by just grabbing tight. I think it's interesting here, there's a phrase mentioned here in verse 24 that we have seen before, but God mentions again that the borders of their land stretch all the way to the Euphrates River here in verse 24. This isn't the first time God described the full boundaries of the promised land and that they reached all the way to the Euphrates. Listen, don't let anyone try to convince you that the Jews have no right to the land they're in today. They have a God-given right to that land they have now, and they have, they have the land that they own now, and so much more. They have so much more land that God's promised to them that they have not experienced. Sometimes people get uncomfortable when you say that. They go, yeah, but Israel's not even following Jesus right now, and some of the things they do may not be right. Listen, you don't have to defend everything Israel does to defend the truth that that's God, their God-given land. You don't have to do that. I don't have to defend everything they do to defend that truth. Israel is an unbelief now, but that does not make the promise of God null and void. In Romans chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, we have a verse that we quote, that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Do you know the context of that verse? It's about Israel about how God will never give them up. He says, as concerning the gospel, Romans eleven twenty eight, concerning the gospel, they, the Jews, they're enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. Why? Because the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. He picked Israel, they didn't pick him. They didn't pick him, he picked them. We already learned here, he didn't pick them because they're better than anybody else. He picked them because if anyone could show how loving and merciful and good God is and how powerful God is, it was them. And so he picked them. He made promises to their forefathers and he kept his promises. And God still keeps those promises. Sadly, Israel never experienced these full boundaries, even when they were walking with the Lord, which means they never loved God supremely. Let that never be said of us, right? Let it never be said of us that we missed out on all God had for us because we didn't love him with everything in us. Here's where Israel has to make the choice, verse 26. Behold, which means pay attention. This is important. This is where you make your choice, Moses says. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse 
If you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but instead turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. The choices are obey God or follow idols. And at its core, every choice we make can be boiled down to that. Whether the idols me, my own heart, or something that competes with the Lord in my life, it's all the same. I can either choose the Lord or I can choose something else. As it concerns salvation, this verse about a blessing and a curse, it certainly applies. The Bible says if, if we have not received Christ, we're under the wrath of God. The wrath of God abides upon us. Even now, we're under a curse. But if we come to Christ, we're under a blessing. As it concerns someone who's already come to Christ, God does not curse us ever. And he does not curse us by kicking us out of his family when we blow it. Now, God does discipline us with the goal of bringing us back to trusting him because God hates sin and he disciplines his kids. That's the lesson we learned earlier tonight. It's how he, how he does it. But he doesn't kick us out of the family. He doesn't kick us out of the land. Israel, though, did face that real danger. And because they faced the real danger of incurring God's wrath and being removed from the land, Moses orders them to do something special once they've conquered the land. Look at verse 29. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord your God has brought you in unto the land where you go to possess it, that you will put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side, Jordan, by the way where the sun goes down, in the land of, Can of the Canaanites, which dwell in the Champagne, over against Gilgal, beside the plains of Moreh? Now, Champagne is an old, old English word for a desert plateau. As Moses said in verse 11, Israel is a land of hills and valleys. But the central area of Samaria, it's the highest region. It's a raised region of hills and valleys, while most of Galilee and, and the Jordan River Valley is actually below sea level. Now, southeast of Samaria, which is the main city in that area, these two mountains, verse 29, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, they straddle the city of Shechem, modern-day Nablus. You actually will probably hear that one in the news a lot because that's where a lot of the fights break out on the West Bank. It's important because this is where the east-west trade routes would go through. Uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim certainly aren't the tallest uh, points in Israel or even in the Samaria region, but they guard that east-west trade route through the center of the nation. That's what made Shechem such an important city and the ideal place to hold this event. Now, Moses doesn't tell us what the blessings and what the curses are that they're going to recite, but what he's going to do in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, he's going to explain it. You're going to have six tribes stand on one mountain, and they're going to recite the blessings, and then six tribes will stand on the other mountain, and they'll recite the curses. And everyone, as a result, will have heard and said, this is our commitment. We are choosing this day to obey the Lord and experience the blessings, because if we don't, we'll experience the curses. For now, Moses is just establishing this as the place to hold the event and to do it. Why is he telling him now? Well, because he's not going with them. And he wants to make sure that he ensures their success when they move on without him. Look at verse 31. For you, not him, you shall pass over Jordan to go in to possess it and live there, dwell therein. And you shall observe to do all the commandments and the judgments which I set before you this day. It's almost like he's willing them to, to do it right, you know. So you will do this, you know. He's saying, you shall do this. This is your goal. There can be no compromise. And even though much of this chapter is, is upbeat, Israel still faced the ominous task and the knowledge that their leader, who'd been with them for the last 40 years, who helped them come out of Egypt, he wouldn't be with them through this. 
He couldn't take them all the way. So he tells me, he goes, when you guys go in, finish the job, stay the course, get the task done. Now, we could close the chapter and be done, but aren't you glad that our leader can take us all the way in? That we're never on our own? Turn to Hebrews chapter 2 with me. I want to read you verses 9 and 10. Moses is cool, but Jesus is way better. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, it says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, he became a man, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Jesus tasted death for every man. Why? For it became him. Why did he do this? Why did he come to our earth to do that? For it became him. It was right for him. For whom are all things? All that God created everything for him. So it was right for him that God created everything for him and by whom are all things he made us. It was fitting for him to bring many sons unto glory to make the captain of the salvation perfect through sufferings. See, Jesus showed that he could take us all the way because he went all the way already for us. He went to the cross. He finished the task. And as such, he is our captain. We don't need to find a mountain to utter blessings and curses. We just need to stick close to our captain. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we want to stick close to you. You said in light of the fact that the, the way has been made into the Holy of Holies, the veil has been torn, you said, come boldly, enter in, draw near with full assurance of faith, follow our captain. And so, Lord, tonight we say thank you. We want to follow you. Lord, you don't send us anywhere you haven't been. You don't send us anywhere where you won't go again with us, where you won't lead us. And Lord, we know you'll go all the way because you already went all the way for us. So Lord, our desire is to stick close to you, to cling to you, to cleave to you with all that's in us. And Lord, we don't want our hearts to deceive us, so we want to be those who make your word a priority. And so we commit to you tonight to read it with intent to read it in a way that we'll remember it. Lord, whether that's by memorizing Scripture or just being more committed to faithfully reading our Bibles. Lord, we choose to, tonight to study our Bible so we can share it with others, what we're learning, especially our kids. And lastly, Lord, those special things you've done for us, we want to memorialize those truths, to make mementos of what you've done so that we never forget. Help us to do that, Lord, to make your word a priority, that our lives might flourish in obedience to you, trusting you and not ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. God desires to bless all men. In the creation account back in Genesis chapter 1, one of the very first things God did was bless them. This is his heart towards us, but he will not let us be cavalier with sin. Sin was serious enough that God came down took on flesh and blood, and then suffered and died just to pay for our sin. Why not come to Him, leave sin behind, and see what amazing blessings God will give in return for our obedience? If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. 
We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.